Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com. Welcome to Noon Edition. We're, front, we're uh, doing our program from the Milton Metz studio in the radio TV building here at Indiana University. I'm Bob Salzberg, your host, and co-host today is Barbara Brozier. Uh, journalism is in a really uh, difficult period of uncertainty caught between changing technologies, advertising losses, and consumer practices. Many outlets are struggling to stay profitable with advertising and circulation revenue on the decline, and hundreds of media members have lost their jobs in recent weeks, actually, as companies like Gannett have cut, cut, um, cut many people from their newsrooms. Local journalism faces perhaps the strongest challenges to stay viable as news broke Monday. The sale of the publisher of the Bloomington Herald Times to Gatehouse Media. So today we're going to be talking with Three guests who uh, are really knowledgeable about this this area. Stephen Key is here. Steve Key is the executive director and general counsel for the Hoosier State Press Association. Elaine Monahan is professor of practice in journalism at the IU Media School. And joining us by phone is John Schwantis, the host of Indiana Lawmakers and a news analyst on Indiana Weekend Review. If you have questions or comments, you can give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington or toll-free at 1-877-285-9348. You can also tweet us at Noon Edition. So, of course, up until yesterday, I worked for the Herald Times in Bloomington, so um, I had planned a retirement, and so I'm, I'm out of there. Gate, Gatehouse took over ownership today, so I only worked for the Shures Company. So, Steve, I wanted to start with you and just, you know, you've been observing this around the state of Indiana in particular. So what's happened in Indiana that, that people should know about in terms of uh, ownership changes and layoffs and things like that? Well, I would say Indiana is not any different than any other state. You know, they're all the same factors that are that are affecting newspapers across the state in the rural areas you have migration away from communities you have less and less retail to draw upon for the advertising uh, you have changing technology uh, you have more and more people consuming their news digitally rather than maybe the the print edition which newspapers are adjusting to uh, we have you know older family uh, ownership that's uh, uh, you know that are getting ready to retire and you know the next generation doesn't necessarily want to run the newspaper so you have sales going along those lines uh, you have consolidations as uh, you know uh, a chain like a gatehouse is looking to uh, you know to, to expand their their uh, their footprint the gatehouse coming to Indiana this will be uh, the first time we've had gatehouse in Indiana so it, it's not any different than anything else you know you have everyone trying to figure out uh, how to monetize the, the news product. Everyone wants the news product, but to try to figure out how to monetize it is, uh, is, is the issue these days. Of course, the uh, Indianapolis Star at one point for a long time was owned by the Pulliam family, and Gannett has owned it now, and there have been a series of layoffs there. Uh, just before the end of the year, we had um, in the studio was myself, Max Jones from Terre Haute, and... Um, um, Jeff Kovaleski from Kokomo, they work for CNHI, which was just sold as well. Yeah, they uh, they had been purchased by, I think it was Raycom, and then Raycom decided to turn around and sell them. Uh, so it kind of worked out well, I believe, for CNHI because they end up being... Uh, becoming now owned by the the Alabama Teachers Reti Retirement Fund, which is goes back to their origins and really how they were uh, CNHI was originally funded and and started. Uh, so I think you won't see too much change there with, with that change. Mm -hmm. So Elaine, what's this what's this mean to um, I guess democracy and to just the the bigger picture of keeping people informed? So I, th I think the picture is very complicated. Um, and of course, you know, when you're talking about people having lost their jobs, you have to think, first of all, about the impact on those individuals and on their communities, which, of course, is devastating. Um, I suppose thinking about it slightly more broadly, 
Um, as Steve was pointing out, what this reflects is a move to a more digital environment, which in its nature ought to be more democratic. Um, and we, we tend to think of it as a, a, a world where filter bubbles can disappear, meaning that it's harder to kind of seal yourself off from other opinions. Um, on the other hand, you still have to look at them. <laughs> so, um, you know, we do tend to think of that as being a more democratising world. And at the same time, we know that because of the loss of local newspapers, um, we're getting this what we call a media desert effect, where people are unable to get news about their own communities and they're therefore, as a recent study showed us in the last week, um, less seeing less split-ticket voting, meaning that people are less likely to go outside of their comfort zone when they when they vote um, because they don't have sufficient information about what's happening in their community. Mm -hmm. um, so that, so sort of a mixed picture of sort of in a global kind of um, broader sense, more democracy or more opportunity for democracy, and on the other hand, a loss of sources in your backyard. I'm curious. Uh, we talked about Hoosier Times specifically this week, and you know there are so many pa papers in this region that are being impacted by this. W what's the difference between perhaps the impact in Bloomington, where there are some other you know options or other p places people can get news, versus a place like Paoli or Spencer? That's a really great question. I mean, obviously, even within southern in the context of southern Indiana, um, you know. In Bloomington, we're quite blessed. You know, we have a, a, a local newspaper. We also have student publications that report not just on campus events, but on things happening in the broader society. Um, and then if you travel just an hour to the south, you come to towns where there are fewer media options, and even the ones that are available tend not to focus necessarily on their backyard. Um, although, of course, at IU, we're always encouraging our students to report beyond their um, immediate horizons. Um, but again, that requires resources. Um, and that's the big problem that everyone in every newsroom around the world is facing. I think if I could respond to that, um, Barbara, I feel like I should be a guest on this show. <laughs> you today, should. Well the host. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm thinking about communities like Paoli. I mean, I, I'm not sure that the, the sale to Gatehouse is going to have much of an impact on communities like Paoli. Gatehouse is a huge company. They have, they're in 550 markets around the country. They only have 145 daily newspapers and, as well, and whatever they added with the purchase assures. So they have a lot of experience with really small, small newspapers. So Paoli um, News Republican with Miles Flynn as the editor is going to remain the Paoli News Republican with Miles Flynn as the editor. So I don't know how much impact there will be in the in the smallest of the the communities uh, that they purchase. What I, obviously people hear this news and your readers love the Herald Times and they worry. Some of them do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they worry about what what this does mean for coverage in, in Bloomington um, and in the surrounding area. What can you tell us, Bob, about how things will change at this point? Well, it, it's that's. That's up to J.J. Perry, the new editor. <laughs> However, I will say, uh, you know, I've, I've been, since I've been in this retirement mode, I've been on kind of a speaking tour, and that question came up at, at a presentation. And, and, you know, I said things have been changing for quite a while. I mean, we don't co cover near the, the landscape that we used to. You know, we don't go to as many meetings. We don't go to as many away basketball games. We, you know, there are just a lot of things that we don't cover. What the HT lost on Wednesday was two journalists. We lost uh, Jeremy Hogan, who's a terrific photographer. Uh, and photographers are, you know, they're kind of a, a marked group out there. And I think that's a huge part of what we've always done in Bloomington at the, at the Herald Times. We had great photography. So we lost Jeremy, and then we lost somebody who's in our copy editing hub, which, you know, that's a whole different animal, you know, the loss of copy editors over the years and switching into design hubs and all that kind of thing has um, not exactly made newspapers more precise or more well edited. So, um, you know, I think, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where it's going to go from here. I think that um, uh, I can tell you, and I don't want to monopolize the show, but I can tell you that I've, I've spoken with a, a person that I know well who's the vice president of newspapers for 
gatehouse and i have total confidence in him as a journalist and so he's going to help guide the direction of newspapers and he's and i don't think they're going to be coming in saying bloomington needs to do x y and z they're going to be wanting bloomington to do you know the ht to do what the ht's always done but they may want him to do it with fewer people so john can i bring you on for a minute and, and just ask about you know from your point of view you know, you, you've watched a lot of politics around the state. And, you know, has, has the changes – do you think that the changes in the media landscape has affected the way state politics are, um, you know, are carried on? Well, it, it certainly has changed the way that state politics and state government uh, are covered. I recall back to my days uh, – strike up the nostalgia music, I guess. But I remember when I was uh, with the Indianapolis News, State House Bureau Chief for the News, um, many years back. And I would say that the State House Press Corps uh, maybe had 30 or so individuals. Uh, there were newspapers around the state that maintained you know, year-round bureaus. There were radio stations and television stations, as well as the wire services, not only AP, but UPI at that point. And now you look at the, uh, the State House Press Corps, it is um, ample office space for everyone, let's just say, in the, uh, the so-called media shacks there in the State House. Uh, no, but no double, double bunking anymore. Uh, and I think the upshot of that is clear. It's uh, less coverage. Uh, it's, it's, and coverage oftentimes by individuals who uh, don't cover it on a regular basis, so they're not as familiar. It's not their fault. Uh, they're they're assigned maybe as a one-off to go to the state house and, and do a story on a particular piece of legislation or a particular committee hearing, uh, and so uh, through no fault of their own, they're not going to be as familiar with the the players, with the political landscape, with what uh, really might be happening behind the scenes, and therefore are not able to hold uh, our elected officials perhaps as accountable as would be the journalists who spent 12 months. A year at the state house, so that I guess you could say uh, 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 you could get away with more if if, uh, if if you were so inclined as a state official. And I'm, I'm not saying that anyone uh, is inclined, but certainly this would uh, this would lend itself to uh, less accountability. It seems to me. We do have a, a question on Twitter that uh, I want to go to that speaks specifically to newspapers. Um, and this is from Michael Nardi, and he cites some Pew research about readership among newspapers, especially uh, the small percentage of young people who are getting news from newspapers. He asks a pretty broad question, but he says this, these numbers have been decreasing for years. Is there a future for local journalism and what will it look like? Steve, I don't know if you want to jump in. I think there's always going to be a future for local journalism because if you look around, who's going to fill that void? Uh, you know, who's going to cover the uh, uh, Paoli City Council? Who's going to cover the Orange County uh, commissioners, the uh, uh, the French Lick School District, or whatever the case may be? Uh, if it's not the the local newspapers now, as as Bob has pointed out, you know there may not be in those papers as many reporters as there used to be, and so uh, coverage will be not maybe as deep as it was, and maybe a little more shallow, uh, and and that is a you know a concern of mine from a from a democratic standpoint is that if you know if you don't have those reporters there being the eyes and ears of the public, there is a greater chance of things happening, the good old boy network, uh, favor for a friend or, or whatever. Uh, I know that uh, there was just a recent study I was in, uh, by some economists, and uh, their, their findings were that the cost of government increased in areas where there was less newspaper coverage and that uh, they could actually put a, a, you know, a percentage amount as far as uh, the cost of like bond issues and things along those lines, uh, and they correlated that to the lack of of, of coverage. So uh, th there's going to there's still that demand, and even the millennials, from what I understand, the millennials are consuming news at a greater level than than previous generations because they want to make a difference in the world and they want to get involved. Uh, now the question is. Uh, is you know how are they getting their news and and how educated are they as far as being able to sift through and understand you know a a story by a, a trained journalist as opposed to something that's just been posted by a blogger. 
who maybe have no journal that has no journalism uh, uh, background. So that's a concern, and and we've seen that concern played out nationally with this whole situation about the last election and and the Im- impact of of a purposely placed fake news. Elaine, I see you shaking your head. You obviously deal with a lot of young people here at IU, and, and what are you hearing from them just about what they think the future of journalism is going to be? And does this all play into their career prospects and how they're thinking heading into the real world? So, um, you know, <laughs> there's so much to say on this subject. It's hard to, kind of hard to know where to start. I mean, I, I would say that um, although young people might not be unfolding the local newspaper or the New York Times or whatever over their breakfast table on a Sunday morning like we do in our house. Um, they're at, like you rightly pointed out, Steve, consuming news in, in very large quantities, just perhaps not in the way that we are accustomed to. Um, and I suppose that the really big picture point here is that, um, you know, the advertising model has evaporated and that's why newspapers are, have gone out of business and it's switched over to platforms like Facebook and Twitter and so on and that's where my students are getting a lot of their news and so of course a lot of our educational discussion with them and among ourselves is about media literacy and how to ensure that when you're consuming news in a different way you know how to examine it for accuracy and, 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 and so on. But, you know, I'm looking right now at a, at a story about a new publication called Correspondent, which was originally a Dutch publication, but has now moved over into English. And it's based entirely on subscription. Um, there's no advertising. And, and, and this is where I think the future lies, actually, is in, you know, news organisations partnering in a way with their communities to generate new products where the community feels like when I when I say community I mean the community around this particular any given publication feels very much like they're part of that process that um, trust is sort of the number one consideration and I think those kinds of business models are what's going to drive the future which of course means an awful lot of innovation and people making difficult and brave decisions about about the future, and it probably means something not very positive for newsrooms. So. Well, can I just weigh in? With, Go ahead, John. Can I just make one observation about the millennials? Uh, I have three of them myself, two of them who are on the Wilmington campus right now, and a, a third who will be there starting in August, I hope. Uh, and so I, we have these conversations, as you might imagine. They're my three-person focus group for millennials. And they'll say, of course, oh, newspapers are not relevant. We don't get our our information from news, uh, our peers, and we look elsewhere. But when you when you go a step further and you say, okay, give me an example, uh, send me some of the news that which you would consider important information that you and your peers are talking about and feel is important. Let's trace it back. I'd say nine times out of ten, it starts with. A newspaper, and so I wonder if uh, we really our nomenclature. I wonder if it's it's I, you know this is all uh, fluid, and our, our our industry and our profession are changing constantly. But when we so quick to say newspapers are dying, I think we just maybe need to substitute news, news organizations because uh, clearly a lot of the information that millennials are getting via digital platforms is actually original reporting sourced vetted and produced by what we would consider newspapers in the traditional sense. Yeah, I was wanting to go that same direction. It may be an old stat now, but I remember uh, the the number used to be 85% of the news that you would find online started with, with the newspaper. And and going to what Eileen was saying, I, I still think there is opportunities for for newspapers once they figure out the the the, the model for for uh, whether it's subscriptions or, or or nonprofits or how it's going to go, because newspapers still have in their community they have that that le- level of credibility and trust that they've built up over fifty hundred hundred and fifty how many how many years, and so. If once they've gone through this transition and, and figured out what is going to be the the model, and it very well could be uh, solely uh, subscription, it's just people have to get used to it. I mean, uh, when we were when we were kids, if somebody come up and said, "Here, I, I'll give you a, a bottle of water for a dollar seventy-five," most people would have just laughed at them. But now people do that with with not even thinking about it. Now we're in a situation where 
most of the you know the non millennials who've who've grown up they recall you know how much their newspaper cost and and they really didn't think about the fact that they weren't really paying for the newspaper it was the advertisers that were paying for it because they wanted to to get their advertising in front of them so now that that's moved away we may be back going to newspapers who you know to kind of a model back uh, before the uh, the turn of the 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 1800s and 1900s, you know, when papers were strictly more subscription, and and uh, you may have smaller uh, uh, readership of the of those particular papers, uh, but they 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 will still have that viable interest to the community they face, whether it's a geographic community, or if it's a larger uh, community uh, community of either political views or or, or special needs. I think. Well, we're going to have to take a break, but first, I want to—I have to weigh in on this briefly <laughs> because, you know, I've been in a newsroom uh, for a long time until, you know, today, and the newsroom I left. So this question is, is there a future for local journalism, and what will it look like? My answers would be yes, absolutely, and who the heck knows? <laughs> I mean, um, you know, I left a, my newsroom, the newsroom that I just left, uh, I was the oldest person by 20 years. And the reporting staff is mostly millennials, and they are dedicated to providing information about their community. They want to they want to do the best work they can to help people make sense of the big issues that are going on around them. They don't necessarily want to go out and you know cover a meeting here and a meeting there. They want to tell big stories. They want to tell. They want to really be, do important work, and they're going to continue to want to do important work. It's just it might not be ink on paper. So how do newspaper newsrooms transform um, into something different? And what that something different is, I don't know. So there's my, uh, <laughs> there's my take on this. And uh, we can talk a little bit more about the revenue model after the break. But uh, you're listening to Noon Edition. We have uh, three great guests with, with us today. Steve Key, Elaine Monahan, and John Schwantes. We'll be right back. From the Milton Met Studio at IU's Radio TV building, this is Noon Edition on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville, online at smithville.com. WFIU News covers South Central Indiana and the state throughout the day at WFIUNews.org and on Twitter at WFIU News. You can watch unfiltered video of breaking stories on Facebook Live. And you can get a digest of all the day's top stories delivered to your inbox each afternoon. It's a free and easy way to stay on top of the headlines, plus the in-depth audio, video, and print news stories you can't get anywhere else. Subscribe right now at WFIUNews.org. Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Um, from, well, not from the Herald Times anymore. <laughs> Excuse me. So I'm with Barbara Brozier. She's our co-host today. We have uh, Stephen Key, Executive Director and General Counsel for the Hoosier State Press Association. Elaine Monahan, who's a professor of practice and journalism at the IU Media School. And John Schwantes, the host of Indiana Lawmakers and a news analyst on Indiana Week in Review. We're talking about local journalism and newspapers today. It's been a rough week, uh, so if you have any questions or comments, please give us a call at 812-855-0811 in Bloomington, 1-877-285-9348 outside the local area. You can also join us on Twitter at Noon Edition. Barbara? There, there is something I want to ask about that um, I've been talking a lot about with colleagues, um, and that's we've talked about how excited young journalists are, and then you know people like Bob who have been doing this for such a long time. Um, one thing that I see that's a little concerning to me is people who are at the midpoint in their careers, or you know I've been doing this I think eight years now, and when you see all of these changes happening, despite how much you love it, you wonder is this a sustainable career path for me? And if I, you know, have friends who want to have families, they think they have to leave and choose a different career path because 
is this a stable one anymore? And I'm I'm curious how how we fight that that brain drain, and but, is this a sustainable you know career? Path? I want to follow up on that and ask John because John was a newspaper guy for a while and he got out. In still other a things. newspaper guy. It's still yeah. in the blood. <laughs> All right, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So what what made you sort of shift your your direction? Well, I, I think uh, it had to do probably with audience fragmentation. We saw that uh, back at the Indianapolis News and subsequently at the Indianapolis Star when I was there, we could look at market penetration of, and on a Sunday, of upwards of 90%. So you can't, you, at that point, uh, the mass was still in mass media. And then you look at audience fragmentation, you uh, look at any number of forces, not only competition within uh, media, but also just competition for time. People are busy. Uh, their lifestyle habits and, and uh, patterns are different from what our, our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation might have been. So uh, we were, that, the ma- there really wasn't, uh, or at least we were at risk of losing the mass in mass media, it seemed to me. So one way at the star, uh, back probably around uh, 99 or 2000, we tried to address this was through strategic partnerships uh, with where we would have uh, alliances with radio, with television, uh, since at that point the Star didn't have those competencies in-house, and that's changed a lot certainly now. There are a lot of newspapers with very talented videographers and, and so forth uh, on their on their payrolls. But at that time, we were looking to mask our weaknesses and and, and build on our strengths by, by through strategic partnerships. And so that's, I'm sort of the, the, um, the human manifestation of those partnerships, sort of uh, the, the hybrid, I guess, that uh, uh, that's, a, that's a positive way to look at it. But the negative way is, like, I guess, I'm still looking for the, the medium that, that's right for me. Well, we'll find it eventually, but uh, maybe it hasn't been invented yet. Steve, I'm curious what, what you're seeing or hearing, um, just burnout when you hear of layoffs it seems like it, it just can kind of increase that that feeling amongst journalists and um what do you think the the answer is to retain talented journalists well obviously we need to figure out the the model that's that's going to emerge from from this transition and, and i wish i knew what that model was uh but but i think that what you're seeing right now is with those in those newsrooms where there's change or whatever i mean there's there's fear there's trepidation you know am i going to be the next on on the the chopping block and so you know obviously uh the morale in a lot of those uh uh newsrooms is 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 not going to be as high as you would you would like it to be but you know when you talk about sustainability and you talk about you know why, why should young people stay in journalism you know there is as i said before there still is that 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 need and desire for 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 news and uh, there may be opportunities as we are going more digital that uh, for uh, uh, for young journalists to figure out the model and figure out how to do it in, a, in, a, in an entrepreneurial way where instead of having like if you take it in Indianapolis instead of having an Indianapolis star, you may have multiple news outlets uh, you know for Irvington Broad Ripple uh, Beach Grove uh, where they may be. Uh, they may not be. They may be print. They may be digital. They may be a combination. They're all going to be mobile because they got to be mobile. Uh, uh, but you may end up in a situation where, if you look at the national level, where you know uh, there used to be three networks, and so there were only th- journalism spots for three news stations nationally. Now you have a you know a multitude of of, of uh, you know cable news uh, 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 channels to choose from. So. So if you looked at it from a matter of jobs back then and now, there'd be more jobs because you're talking more more stations. So as as the market fragments, you may see that become part of the model for, for, for journalism. And if you have some of them who are now going totally digital, then you may have a situation where – you know, you can have more competition because they're not uh, having to spend the money on the presses and, and the, the print and, and the distribution because that's all handled electronically. Uh, so I, so I, it's, as Bob said earlier, the answer is we don't know yet. <laughs> uh, but, I, uh, but I do think that uh, there's still going to be, and, and the millennials, as we've already identified, they want news. 
They may say they're not reading the newspaper, but if they really looked and to see where that news is coming from, they probably are more involved with newspapers and probably more newspapers than maybe their their uh, their their fathers and and mothers who were just used to the the one paper being delivered on their on their doorstep. Mm-hmm. We do have an email question that I'd like to go to um, from John Clower, and this um, talks a little bit about Sinclair Broadcasting, which owns um, television stations across the country. And he says that several of the Sinclair stations, uh, they sent their news outlets a script to read, the same script that was produced at the Sinclair headquarters, cautioning the audience about fake news. Anchors had to read it. They're under contract. Um, The move was widely interpreted as an ideologically motivated by the owner's support of President Trump. Bob, you're probably the best person to answer <laughs> this. This person wants to know, what do we know about the ideological views of, of gatehouse media, and could that come into play with their taking ownership of I, Hooter I Times? Think, well, you know, it's dangerous for me to answer this question, kind of. <laughs> I think the ideological views of gatehouse are not as relevant or even known as the fact that they're a company that wants to make money. If if local newspapers are paying the bills and returning a profit, I don't think Gatehouse necessarily wants you know has a perspective that they care about with the local newspapers. I do know I know that when they bought the Sarasota newspaper, the Sarasota newspaper uh, previously, their previous owners had really squawked at them about a series of stories about the treatment of um, people who are transgendered in Sarasota, the previous owners. And I know that when Gatehouse came in, they said, we have no problem with those those story or any stories that you're going to do, you know, that they gave them. Um, support from an editorial perspective. So um, I don't think Gatehouse is not a Sinclair. Um, Gatehouse has, you know, uh, only time will tell. You know, I know what it was like to work for a family-owned company, Shures, and I know that that the first 43 years that Shures owned Bloomington were different from the last 10 just because of the pressures. But, but, yeah. You know, I think, Bob, Bob's assessment is right on. I have, I'm actually a, a former Gatehouse employee, uh, not on the resume, I guess, but uh, I spent some time after their acquisition of dispatch media properties uh, in central Ohio. And I would, I would just echo what, what Bob said, that uh, I think their one ideology is capitalism in terms of uh, uh, the bottom line. And I don't say that in any disparaging way. I mean, clearly, we want journalism to thrive and be vital for generations to come. Uh, and I think there, uh, if you, I had the opportunity to meet and work with some of their executive team, and from their CEO, Kirk Davis, uh, who's a Midwesterner, you know, been working in newspapers probably since he was, you know, teenager. Uh, there are a lot of people I respect a great deal in, in that company, and I think they do value journalism. Uh, where I think uh, uh, what I think you might see is, and this is a, a philosophy that, again, like everything, is, with everything else we said today, the jury's out on, on whether this approach makes sense, but the, the, the company's philosophy, at least as I understand it, is play to each market's strengths. Uh, they understand the local news is what uh, sells newspapers or uh, encourages people to go online and click through. Uh, and so that's where they're going to, uh, the, that's the basket into which they will place the eggs. Now, what goes away? It, it's, uh, there's a consolidation, and I don't know if they've made decisions yet, about about all of the papers within uh, the Shures Communications uh, Empire, but uh, down in Austin, Texas, they have a, a design and editing hub that employs about 300 people. And I think uh, a lot of the design and editing work is done there for close to 100 papers in the chain. So what, so again, I'm rambling, but the point is they want to make sure that, for instance, in that market, that Indiana University basketball, football, uh, the local uh, food scene, the local art scene, uh, certainly Indiana University, are covered because that's the strength uh, and that's what you can get there, arguably, that isn't available, you know, a million other places on the Internet. And then a lot of the, what they would see is the... uh, they hate the word 
the commoditization of this, but there are things that are replicated in newsroom after newsroom after newsroom that might say the, the back office sorts of things, although, again, I'm, I'm not suggesting that uh, our copy desks and our design desks are incredibly important. Uh, but that's what you might see. Uh, there might be instances where uh, Kirkwood Avenue becomes Kirkland or something because somebody in Austin uh, isn't as intimately familiar with Bloomington uh, as somebody would be sitting on uh, South Walnut in the newsroom. So, uh, But I don't think it will erode necessarily the commitment to local news or uh, and I certainly don't have never sensed any sort of marching orders politically or philosophically about the editorial page. I think they play really to the market. So to a, a couple of uh, John's points, one is there's, there are no plans to shift our production elsewhere at this time. I say our, the HTs, at this time. Um, and I, I think, you know, I would just echo uh, all the things, you know, that he said. I think they're, they do want to, you know, it's, it's a different kind of company. But the, this idea of having a, a design hub or an editing hub is definitely true and that was one of the things that uh, they were kind of known for and they they moved to Austin where they didn't have a newspaper yet uh, if I remember right John and um, that's right they just now, acquired Austin in the last few months yeah and then they, they, they acquired the paper there but they moved to Austin because they wanted to be able to attract talent into uh-huh. design talent into a, a particular community I think that Bloomington is a community that has talent and I think it if they, uh, you know, if they want a, a different design hub, it might be here. I know that they're looking for um, synergies. For instance, they own uh, Oklahoma City, and uh, between Oklahoma City and Austin, I'm not sure what other papers they can do coverage of the Big Twelve. Well, now they have Columbus Dispatch in Bloomington, so that starts them down the road on the Big Ten. Some of the other things that, uh, well, something that, geez, I, I probably should. Well, I. I can say whatever I want. You're uh, retired. You, yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the USA Today <laughs> section that you see in your Herald, Herald Times now, which some people love and some people don't, will be going away in March and has nothing to do with the purchase of Gatehouse. Gannett decided that wasn't working. They're discontinuing it. But Gatehouse has national pages that they put together for their newspapers. So it's a different way. You know, It's the same way of presenting news without having to just pick and choose and have an editor. But it'll be coming from Gatehouse at some point in the near future, rather than USA Today. We need to get to the phones. We have Norm on the phone. Norm? Yeah, hi, guys. Um, this is a deep history question. Uh, Thomas Jefferson had a lot to say about the importance of the press in a democracy. And I wonder what you think Jefferson would say looking at American democracy uh, today uh, vis-a-vis given uh, our press media scene. Well, he always he'd probably <laughs> die all over again. I think. Uh, <laughs> I mean, clearly, the uh, uh, and again, I'll sound a little idealistic here, but certainly to have a an active, engaged uh, citizenry and to have a democracy that works, you have to have educate educated, engaged, enlightened uh, members of the public and news organizations. That's the role they play. And if you look at some of the studies that have been done, uh, Lane Trump being the academic at, at the table can certainly uh, talk to some of these things. But if you look at markets, Denver, I know there's been extensive research when it lost a newspaper, Cincinnati when it lost one of its new, two newspapers. And you can look at the impact on voter registration, uh, voter turnout, uh, candidacy, volume of candidacies for local offices. Uh, and so I, there is, uh, it seems, based on the data I have seen, a direct correlation, uh, or maybe it's an inverse correlation, between uh, the loss of, of, of uh, legitimate, uh, uh, well-intentioned news outlets and, and, and civic participation. So that is, that is a real concern because uh, we've talked a lot about bottom line and economic pressures, and uh, it is probably more expensive, if you get right down to it, to produce quality public affairs journalism than it is to produce sports. Uh, well, aside Bob Sam, what do you mean? I find all those budgets about <laughs> right. people all over the country. Yeah. But uh, uh, generally speaking, sports and entertainment uh, has a bigger audience, a bigger return, bigger bang for your buck, certainly less risk in terms of uh, any potential litigation, any, any uh, you know, upsetting the apple cart. Uh, than public quality public affairs journalism, and that's where I think is as as an industry and its profession we need to make sure that it may not be the most 
profitable part of the business, but certainly it may be the most essential in terms of our First Amendment responsibilities. Elaine, Steve, you want to react to this Thomas Jefferson question? Yeah, I, I feel I have to quote the man so you know what we're talking <laughs> about. One of my favorite quotes ever. Um, he said, he wrote, the basis of our governments being the opinion of the people, the very first object should be to keep that right. And were it left to me to decide whether we should have a government without newspapers or newspapers without a government, I should not hesitate a moment to prefer the latter. But I should mean that every man should receive those papers and be capable of reading them. So obviously he was speaking in a very different time. But I think for me, the point here is that, um, you know, of course, we... I'm not suggesting we don't need a government, <laughs> but we definitely need journalists. And I don't think there's anyone, no matter what sort of, you know, terrible um, things may have befallen us, um, who would who would question that. And, and I just wanted to come back to something you asked, Barbara, about sort of mid-career people. I mean, I think it's really important to emphasise that the mindset of a journalist and the skill sets of a journalist and, you know, that word is a big word. It can cover many different jobs, actually, are so invaluable. I mean, journalists can be employed in other areas as well, um, precisely because of the kind of, you know, duty to facts and research and the public that most journalists are, are driven by. So I just wanted to make that point. Well, I think there's a lot of research uh, that's been done on this campus about what keeps people in journalism, too, by mm-hmm. Cleve Wilhoyt and mm-hmm. David Weaver. Weaver. Mm-hmm. He was talking about deep history, and it's interesting when you look at the newspapers of Jefferson's and Adams' times, completely different uh, uh, ethics involved uh, back at the time and, and things that were done that they would, a journalist today would, would never consider <laughs> consider doing. Um, so, you know, when the, the other, the other uh, question was about, you know, the, the politics of, of Gatehouse, I mean, Really, newspapers have evolved, you know, from from the days when you had uh, uh, the publishers who were as involved with the po- political side of their communities as they were the the, the newspaper side, where uh, with the you know the ethics of journalism evolving over over time, uh, you don't, uh, despite what a lot of people feel, you don't really have that that breadth and and and, and intensity of. of uh, of you know this paper is a Republican paper. This paper is a a, a Democratic uh, uh, paper. Uh, you know most most of the you know the newsrooms are trying to cover the news and 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 give it uh, the most credible and uh, fair coverage that, that they can, despite what many in the public may may think. And when it comes to democracy, I think one of the areas that maybe we need to be focusing on is getting back to civics in in our, our grade schools and, and high schools because. I think less and less, uh, uh, you know, uh, you find that people understand how their government works, what the role of the press is, and and its importance in, in the process. Uh, you know, and and if you had more people who had that understanding, uh, you would have less chance of having a president who declares journalists the enemy of the people. Mm-hmm. One so, thing. Steve, is that an endorsement of the uh, of Senator Cruz's bill that's? Uh, in the Indiana General Assembly right now that would require every high school student as a part of a gateway exam to pass the same civics exam uh, that's required of, say, new citizens. That's, that's an interesting issue, and I, I think we all agree that certainly a better understanding of our, of our civic environment is essential long-term. Well, HSP hasn't taken a position on a particular bill. I'm just I mean, you. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but we are, you know, we, we do projects and, and try to, are looking for, for additional projects that would increase uh, uh, civic literacy in, in Indiana. I want to thank Norm for that question. Thanks, Norm. <laughs> One thing I've seen a lot of this past month when we have seen talk of some layoffs here in Indiana is uh, it's encouraging to see people kind of respond and say how much they they love their local newspapers um, but I don't think they know what they can do to to help in these situations if anything I've seen some people upset about layoffs say I'm canceling my subscription this is horrible and uh, Bob I don't know if you want to jump in here because I no. see you cringing um, if people value the their newspapers and want to see that service around, what, what's the best thing they can do? Well, you know, I did write a column that was uh, the last Monday morning column I wrote, and I said, you know, I would encourage people to support their local journalism and their local newspapers, and that can be done by 
being a subscriber or, or paying at the newsstand or just reading it and engaging in the community and telling other people that you've read it in the newspaper. I would encourage advertisers who actually, uh, you know, I've had a, a line for a long time when an advertiser would call. I, I usually didn't use it, but my thought process would always go when an advertiser would call and threaten to cancel over something that was in the paper. It's like, you know, the advertising is either working for you or it's not. And I think local advertising still works when people actually you know, get by this idea that newspapers are, you know, a dying breed and nobody goes there. People who advertise in the newspaper get results. They still do. So I would like for local businesses to do that. And then I would like for people who are reading the paper or just out there to support their local businesses. It's all kind of cyclical. It will build a better, stronger community. So I think uh, getting back to the revenue ideas, I mean, a couple of things. One is newspapers did use – when I started and would go out speaking – 80% 80% of revenue comes from advertising, 20% comes from circulation. That was the standard. Now it's closer to 50-50, even in our paper. And so people are going to have to pay more for news and content unless the advertisers come back and start supporting it. And then there are other models that maybe some of the rest of you want to talk about where uh, in Seattle, Boeing funds a couple of journalists at the, the, the PI to do work, and there's a big contract that says Boeing has nothing to do with the news content. They're just funding it to help drive, uh, you know, to make the community better. And there are other nonprofits that are doing things like that. There are questions about whether that's the right thing to do, the wrong thing to do, but there have got to be other models that help fund journalism. What do you guys think? Well, you're seeing some of that uh, even here. Uh, the uh, Nina Mason Pulliam <coughs> Charitable mm-hmm. Trust uh, is is basically footing the bill for, I believe it's two uh, journalists at the Indianapolis Star, and their job is to focus on environmental environmental stories. Uh, they also uh, uh, gave the Hoosier State Press Association uh, the ability to now offer, and we just did this last year, the first time, a $1,000 award for the best uh, environmental reporting, uh, excluding the, the those two reporters, unfortunately from the Star, can't can't win that award. But uh, uh, but it's uh, there. You're seeing you know, that model also in other places across the country where uh, people are starting to try to become a nonprofit um, newspaper and and operate off of, 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 of donations and from foundations or or well-meaning people. I, I think again, that's 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 out there, but I'm not sure if everybody's. I don't think it's necessarily going to be the model, and there may not be a the model. You may have, a, you may have the the uh, Bezos and and the the people who can afford to run a newspaper, and if it makes a profit, uh, that's great. But if it doesn't, they're not going to be as as, as distraught. You're, you're going to have the corporations trying to do what they're doing with, uh, you know, for shareholders and consolidation of these and civil reserves. Yeah, there may not be a model that comes up, but uh, uh, it, it, there are all those things that are happening right now, and it's all kind of in the mix, and people are trying to scratch their head and, and latch on to what the, the best model is for them, whether it's Indianapolis or if it's the BB Indiana. Mm-hmm. You, you raise a good oh. point there, Steve, because uh, with the nonprofit journal, of course, Bob and I could probably quip that we've worked for nonprofit news outlets for, for years, right? <laughs> gallows, gallows humor. No comment. You, there's the Institute for Nonprofit News, which I think now has been around uh, since the late 80s. I think there are 172, <clears throat> last time I looked, digital news outlets uh, that operate as part of that organization. Some well-known, like ProPublica, which uh, teams up with a lot of uh, well-known uh, household name news organizations uh, to do very large-scale Investigations and then other uh, nonprofit outlets that focus, as you suggested, just on uh, the environment. In fact, a member of the uh, the Bingham family, which used to uh, operate uh, the Louisville Courier Journal before its sale to Gannett, uh, is is the uh, force behind a very well regarded environmental um, publication, digital publication now that operates as a, a nonprofit. So, I think that is a, an interesting model. I would point out even that. Uh, uh, the largest state house bureau now in the country is maintained by a nonprofit news organization, which is the Texas Tribune mm. in Austin. I believe, and uh, I don't want to spread fake news, so uh, uh, I offer the caveat. I, I would double check this, but I believe they had a 26-person state house bureau, which, of course, 
blows me away. I think I said earlier there were 30 people maybe in the whole entire State House press corps when I was a member of it uh, years back. So uh, clearly there is a demand for that kind of uh, information. Uh, Texas Tribune even has a D.C., uh, Washington, D.C. bureau that's fairly robust. So uh, these are not tiny little operations. In some cases, they are significant players. Elaine, we got about a minute to go. Yeah, just very briefly, I just wanted to give a shout out to IU's Indiana Environmental <coughs> Reporter as another example of the kind of thing that can happen, mm-hmm. which is obviously university-backed and uh, therefore not profit-making and independent. Um, I think the big picture is we're going to have lots of different kinds of solutions. It's going to take lots of different people you know, taking courageous action and having innovative ideas. Can I just say, Jim Shanahan and I had conversations. We talked about putting that reporter in the HT newsroom. It just didn't work out that way. Very quickly, I want to say we have a question about um, the fact that the HT has hired another white man to be uh, its editor. I have to say, uh, it, it says, has the HT ever had a, a female editor? You know, I, I've been the editor for 33 years. The person before me was a white guy. He was the editor for, for 19 years. So in the last 52 years, no. Um, the other part of the question is, is there any diversity on the editorial board? Editorial board? And the answer to that is absolutely um, for at least the last 15 years. I think since I established the board, it's been half male, half female. So um, I just wanted to say that. And we are out of time. I get the last word. I guess. You do. We have to congratulate you, Bob, oh. officially. You have retired from the Herald Times. You've had a huge impa- impact on this community, huge. But you're not leaving Noon Edition. we got to let not. people know that. That's correct. We've got you around thank for you. a while. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. I, I really appreciate it. I want to thank our guests, Steve Key. Elaine Monahan and John Schwantis for Barbara Brozier, Patrick McGurr, Mike Pashkash, and Becca Costello. I'm Bob Zaltzberg. Thanks for listening. Noon Edition is a production of WFIU and the Herald Times. A podcast of this and other WFIU programs is available at WFIU.org. Production support for Noon Edition comes from Smithville. Fiber Internet, streaming TV, home security, and automation in southern Indiana. More information at smithville.com.